questions for higher weight patients and their healthcare providers. This is the Weight and Healthcare newsletter. If you like what you're reading, please consider subscribing and or sharing at weightandhealthcare.com. Our current medical view of weight and health is deeply muddied by weight loss industry involvement. I created this list of questions as a guide to interrogation of this paradigm. It can be used with or by healthcare practitioners or by anyone who wants to take a critical look at our current weight and health paradigm. Should simply being higher weight be considered a diagnosis? The concepts of quote obesity and quote overweight rest on the idea that simply existing in a higher weight body constitutes a disease diagnosis regardless of actual symptomology or cardiometabolic profile. Now, there is no shame in having a disease, but that doesn't mean that simply being higher weight qualifies. In truth, this idea does not stand up to basic scrutiny. It is not scientific thinking, especially considering the health issues that higher weight people have are also experienced by thinner people. In fact, if higher weight people have an increased risk of health issues, it may be because of their increased exposure to weight cycling, weight stigma, and healthcare inequalities. Is intentional weight loss an ethical, evidence-based intervention? Often, the assumption that body size is a disease is followed by the assumption that the quote cure is weight loss. Even if someone believes that simply existing in a higher weight body is a disease, in order for weight loss to be an ethical recommendation, there would need to be a proven effective dose and, more importantly, there would have to be evidence to support the idea that it is possible for the typical patient. Let's look at this. What would be the correct dose of weight loss? Even if someone believes that weight loss is a treatment, then we need to know the dose. Note that the answer here is often inconsistent with the diagnosis, such that a provider will buy into the idea of quote overweight and quote obesity based on the deeply flawed BMI as the diagnostic criteria, but will then try to claim that successful treatment is an amount of weight loss that doesn't actually impact the diagnostic criteria. For example, someone who is diagnosed as quote obese based on their BMI can lose weight, still be in the quote obese BMI category, but their healthcare provider, research, and others may consider them a success, even though the actual quote disease diagnosis has not been impacted. Most pervasive is the myth that 5 to 10% of body weight loss, and I've seen as low as 3 to 5%, creates clinically meaningful benefits. This is not what the evidence shows. In fact, the research that is used to support this fails to separate the impact of small amounts of weight loss from the impact of the behavior changes that preceded it. I do have a specific post about that here on Weight and Healthcare if you want to dig into it further. To put some numbers to this, let's say a 5 foot 4 inch, 350 pound person goes to the doctor. They are diagnosed as quote obese and prescribed weight loss of 5 to 10% of their body weight. Let's say they're able to do that even though, as we'll see momentarily, they are extremely likely to regain the weight. In fact, let's say they lose, at least short-term, the full 10%, 35 pounds, and now weigh 315 pounds. They are considered a success. But if a 5-foot, 4-inch person who weighs 315 pounds walks into the doctor's office, they will be diagnosed as, quote, obese, and will be told they need to lose 5 to 10% of their body weight. This is not scientific thinking. In fact, the idea of 5-10% to 10 weight loss creating clinically meaningful health benefits is not based on research, but on attrition, as the weight loss industry, including those within the healthcare system, has repeatedly set targets for clinically meaningful weight loss, utterly failed to reach those targets, 
lowered the targets, and repeated the cycle. Is there research that demonstrates that this amount of weight loss actually improves health separate from behavior changes? A lot of weight loss research, which, let's be clear, typically fails to meet the basic requirements for ethical research, rests on the 5-10% to myth, such that it doesn't even try to show health benefits. It relies on the unproven assumption that if people lose weight, they'll be healthier. Even if it does show health changes, typically the research fails to make the distinction between the health benefits of behavior changes that precede the weight loss and the small amount of weight loss itself. Is there research that demonstrates significant sustained weight loss for at least five years? Whatever amount of weight a practitioner thinks someone should lose, and again, it should at least be consistent with their diagnostic criteria, in order for this to be an ethical evidence-based recommendation, they should be able to point to strong research that shows that amount of weight loss sustained long-term rather than just weight cycling. That research does not exist. What is the failure rate of intentional weight loss? Again, this is basic information that should be known and disclosed about any kind of treatment. About a century of data finds that intentional weight loss fails the vast majority of the time. What about research that shows the benefits of health-supporting behaviors separate from weight loss? Understanding that weight and health are two separate things, since there are people of all sizes at every point along the health spectrum, and that health is not an obligation, a barometer of worthiness, or entirely within our control, there is research showing the independent benefits of health-supporting behaviors. What is the risk-benefit analysis? If weight loss is the treatment, then we should look at the risks versus the benefits. We know that about 95% of the time, not only will the treatment fail, but that failure, known as weight cycling or yo-yo dieting in the colloquial, is independently correlated with harm. In terms of benefits, among the small percentage of people who do manage to lose weight, it's not clear if the body size change or the behavior changes that preceded it are actually the reason for any health changes. If the patient has actual diagnoses or symptoms, besides simply existing in a higher weight body, what is offered to thin patients in these same situations? People of all sizes get the same symptoms and diagnoses. Often, thin people get an ethical evidence-based treatment, while fat people get a prescription for weight loss, which isn't just unlikely to work to create weight loss or greater health, but means that actual treatment can be delayed, sometimes long-term or even permanently if the weight stigma they experience leads that patient to disengage from care. Would the practitioner be comfortable documenting their differences? One of the things I teach patients is that if they ask for a diagnostic or treatment option and the practitioner denies it because of their size, they should ask the practitioner to document that denial in their chart. If a practitioner isn't comfortable documenting the ways in which they treat higher weight patients differently than lower weight patients, then they shouldn't be doing it. Of course, if they are comfortable with it, that's another problem that needs to be solved. We have to keep asking these questions because our current paradigm around weight and health is based far more on what will be profitable for the weight loss industry, which has wheedled its way into every level of public health and healthcare, than science or logic. If you want additional support around dealing with weight stigma at the doctor's office, I'm teaching a workshop with Shelley Gordon on exactly that. A video of the talk and Q&A will be provided to all registrants, and there is a pay-what-you-can-afford option. You can check it out at bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash D-W-F monthly workshop, all lowercase. Did you find this post helpful? 
You can subscribe for free to get future posts delivered direct to your inbox or choose a paid subscription to support the newsletter and get special benefits. Go to weightandhealthcare.com and click subscribe.